Today is Friday, November the 10th, 2023, and this is a Daily Inc. update. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia is moving forward with filing articles of impeachment against the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. Rather than adhering to an oath he took to defend and secure our country and uphold the Constitution when he was sworn in as Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Nicholas Mayorkas has engaged in a pattern of conduct that is incompatible with the laws of the United States. A U.S. District Court judge in northern Texas has ruled in favor of the Second Amendment and against the Biden administration when it comes to the case of Mock versus Garland. That case is about pistol braces used on short barrel rifles. Judge Reed O'Connor says that any type of regulation or ban on these pistol braces is likely unconstitutional because the pistol braces are commonly used in self-defense. The Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms Agency, or ATF, was seeking to make pistol brace owners register their firearm addition, and if they failed to do so, that would result in a felony charge and a fine. The judge wrote that the Second Amendment prohibits government from infringing upon an individual's right to keep and bear arms for self-defense, and that entails an individual possessing or using a weapon that is common use at the present time. The judge's decision is for a lower court, so it will not affect states beyond its jurisdiction. The Associated Press quickly cuts ties with a freelance reporter in the Middle East after that reporter was videotaped on the back of a motorcycle being driven by a Hamas terrorist. The reporter could be seen carrying a hand grenade while the motorcycle headed towards the area in Israel that was attacked by Hamas terrorists on October 7th. The Associated Press says they had no knowledge of this planned attack by Hamas, and the reporter, Hassan Eslaya, was only an occasional freelancer for them. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is expressing outrage after reports came out on Wednesday night of this week about multiple news agencies, including CNN, Reuters, and The New York Times, having photographers embedded within the Hamas terrorist organization in order to capture the violence and brutal savagery in real time. AP has defended the practice, saying their job is to gather information wherever it happens, even when those events are horrific and cause mass casualties. More subpoenas were issued on Thursday in addition to eight that were issued on Wednesday from the House Oversight Committee. The latest subpoenas involve several of Hunter Biden's business associates, including his art dealer and one of his major art patrons. The additional subpoenas come after seven of Joe Biden's family members were subpoenaed to speak to the House Oversight Committee. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden's attorney says that the president's son is eager to testify about his foreign business deals in a public forum. Speaking of subpoenas, U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee just caused some Hollywood elites, politicians, and maybe others to start losing sleep. As a member of the House Judiciary Committee, Blackburn has now said she will issue a subpoena for the Jeffrey Epstein flight logs. Given the numerous allegations of human trafficking and a sexual abuse surrounding Mr. Epstein, I think it is very important that we identify everybody that was on that plane and how many trips they took on that plane and the destinations to which they arrived. Blackburn's actions come right after federal agents within the Department of Justice broke up a highly sophisticated prostitution ring in Virginia and Massachusetts that had high-powered clients such as politicians, pharmaceutical executives, tech executives, doctors, military officers, lawyers, scientists, and government contractors. The brothel was located in high-end luxury apartments, and the operation had a front of being a modeling agency for Asians. 
Investigative reporter Paul Sperry says that this story goes even deeper. He's reporting that the brothel was involved in a Chinese espionage ring that targeted power players within government and big tech. And just to bring this all home for you as you're listening, I'm going to repeat a clip that I played last week of retired General Michael Flynn talking on a recent podcast with Joy Thayer. We have the House of Rep- we have the House of Representatives right now is totally, completely broken, and they're totally owned by the corporate uh, lobbyists and, frankly, by the globalists who own many of these people because they've been compromised by, by uh, on their some of these what they call Codell trips overseas, where th- these uh, members of uh, of uh, both the House and the Senate get compromised by sleeping with children. And they and they and they and they compromise. And these are real things. These are very real things. At the start of this week, Rumble content creator Stephen Crowder released three pages of the papers that were seized from the Nashville school shooter. Audrey Hale died by police fire after she attacked a private Christian school that she had attended years prior. She killed three adults and three children in that process. Now the president of Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton, says his organization is suing for the release of all of Hale's documents. The manifesto has been under wraps by the FBI ever since that event happened earlier this year. Some within the school community also don't want those writings to be made public, which is very odd. On The Blaze TV, Sarah Gonzalez spoke with Jacob Buyans, who has connections to Covenant Academy, and he explains why he thinks that is. Uh, Members of our team were in a briefing within days after the shooting because I have a former family member, a family member that's a former teacher at that school, and that community is a very tight community. The reason she writes that I should have been caught is because of her history with the principal of the school and previous attempts of her to enter the school. That was not her first time being caught in the parking lot with weapons, where there was altercations between her and the principal, where numerous people in the community knew, Chad, that she had intention to do harm, that she had been classified in a certain term, where police had been involved, where house visits had happened from police, the principal's family, threats to that family, threats to, to terminal harm to that family. We're talking about so much that she's alluding to in these other memoirs and, and journals. And that's why she's alluding to, I should have been caught. She actually also writes, I'm surprised I got this far. Because... There had been a failure by the system to prevent these three children and teachers to stay alive. And there's a long history. These national story updates have been brought to you by Open Inc., a website that is a repository of documents for those who like deep digging, critical thinking, and true journalism where the facts speak for themselves. Up next, a preview of what is coming and what is available on the Open Inc. website. As you know by now, the Georgia trial involving Stacey Abrams and her group Fair Fight against True the Vote with Katherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips is now over. On the Uncovered DC website, Wendy Mahoney recently wrote about what was observed in the courtroom on the last two days of a nine-day bench trial with Judge Steve Jones presiding. The lawsuit by Fair Fight and Stacey Abrams, along with Mark Elias and DOJ lawyers, sought to keep True the Vote from ever operating in that state again. 
However, Catherine Engelbrecht testified that it was Georgia citizens who requested help from TTV following the 2020 presidential election. The Georgia residents wanted to do something about the voter rolls before the 2021 Senate runoff race. Fair Fight adamantly insisted in court that any attempt to challenge a voter's name on a voter roll is an act of voter suppression. Uncover DC goes on to report that Fair Fight called TTV reckless in their actions in the state of Georgia and tried to paint a picture that TTV made some sort of direct action towards voters themselves that was a form of intimidation. TTV maintains that experts were used to analyze the voter roll data and that great pains were taken to follow state law in presenting that data to Georgia citizens who wanted to challenge the names on the voter rolls through the proper channels, which was to submit that information to the County Board of Elections. No voters were contacted individually or directly by TTV. The groups will file their final briefs next Wednesday, and then from there, the judge will make a ruling. Here's another interesting development in the state of Georgia. Voter GA is a group led by Garland Favorito that is seeking election integrity in that state. They have been in a three-year battle ever since the 2020 presidential election to have 150,000 ballots inspected for being fake or manufactured. The mail-in ballots were made of different paper and appeared to have had the selection ovals filled in by computer or machine rather than someone using a regular pen. This was first noticed by Fulton County poll manager Susie Voyles in 2020. Voyles says all of the ballots marked for Joe Biden were extremely uniform and appeared to be marked with toner ink. Favorito has since sued Fulton County where the ballots were spotted in order to have access for inspection. However, those ballots cannot be produced or found, and they may very well have been the ballots that were reported by some Georgia election workers as being destroyed in that county shortly after the 2020 election. Now, this week, the two criminal defense attorneys that are on this case for the defendant's side have filed a motion to withdraw themselves from the case entirely. Even Rasmussen Reports has weighed in on this new development since Rasmussen has been following various state election cases for quite some time. And they posted on Twitter on their account that the sudden departure of these lawyers has got to do something with the ballots that are in question and have now apparently gone missing. This story is ongoing. I will report on any further developments or updates in this case. And incidentally, there were three other poll workers who backed Voyles up in her story about those suspicious ballots. But Voyles was still given the boot from her position as poll manager in Fulton County. Now, on to the final observations about January 6th and Ray Epps. Truth in Media and Laura Logan have brought to light the various video statements that were made by Epps on January 5th, the night before January 6th, while he was in a crowd in downtown Washington, D.C. Tim Virney, also known as Baked Alaska, provided his video coverage of that event to Laura Logan, in which Ray Epps can be heard saying at different points throughout the night the same phrase. We need to go in to the Capitol. Epps then went on to tell the House Select Committee in his sworn testimony that the reason for him making that statement was because he thought the Capitol building would be open for visitors. Now, keep in mind that this was in the middle of all the COVID policies still being implemented in that city and in other states. But Epps kind of dismissed that and said he never even thought about COVID being a factor in this. The committee seemed to buy Epps' reasoning. But then Epps could not really explain to the committee why the crowd's response to his statement in one situation was no, no, no. 
So consider this. Epps continually testified to the committee that he was trying to de-escalate the situation and keep the peace and avoid any violence, and that the crowds seemed ready and eager to get into a conflict with each other and beyond. But when he suggested going into the Capitol, the crowds didn't jump on that suggestion, and they didn't wildly expand it into calls to storm the Capitol like maniacs. Instead, they yelled, no, no, no. We need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. No! So there are some very conflicting statements made by Epps and why he keeps reemerging in these various investigative reports. He says he was there to de-escalate things as if he had some powerful persuasive skills to exercise over the crowd. But then he makes statements to the crowd that were vague, unclear, and easily misconstrued, potentially inciting something from an emotionally hyped up crowd. Things like, tomorrow we go into the Capitol. You can read this transcript of Epps' testimony to the House Committee at Open Inc. website. You can follow Truth and Media on Twitter if you want to see what more comes out of their report on this whole Ray Epps story. Thanks for listening to this Daily Inc. update.